Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Swisscast. I am your host, Brother Suhaib Webb. Mashallah, mashallah. Ramadan bark to each and every one of you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all to have a truly transformative experience during this sacred month. One of the challenges of fasting is how do we extend the fast beyond just the, the role of personal piety into something that is calibrated, that brings benefit to those around us. In this episode, I sit down and talk to former NYU student Mona Benani about how we can adopt attitudes and practices to live a zero-waste lifestyle, meaning living a life without plastic. Like, love, review, share, SwissCast. Let's jump into this interview. So what is that and how did that happen and why is that important as we go into Ramadan or during Ramadan for people to think about? So zero waste in applicability means that I'm not buying or using plastic because plastic is a harmful material um, and instead am choosing to move away from the linear economy where you're extracting a resource, creating a one-time use product in support of a circular economy or what uh, indigenous people call regenerative economies. So one in which you're using the resources that you have sustainably, meaning you understand how much everyone else needs to be able to continue the ecosystem as it is and what you can take out of it from at what time. So the concept of balance or misen and creating a product that can then serve a good purpose but then go back to being part of the ecosystem in a healthy way. And for indigenous people, um, that looks like only taking salmon when the salmon... What do you mean by indigenous people? So I um, got to hear a talk from Winona. She's a Harvard-educated economist who's um, doing community economic development in her tribe in the U.S. And um, she's applying the concepts of regenerative economy with her tribe. And mm. it's, um, an, it's an economic system that takes into account not only human life and human needs, but also the needs of the animals, the needs of the planet. And um, it does that through a, through using, through a, a very conscious understanding of what is in the environment, what can be used, how mm. much and when. So, so a linear economy is running a sprint. A regenerative economy is being in a relay race where we're all kind of passing on something to each other to be used. Mm -hmm. Would that be kind of a, a way to help take the abstraction to more physical? That's a, that's a good explanation, yeah. So you're from Orange County, mm -hmm. which, you know, is often called the cathedral of, of capitalism after Manhattan, where we are now. Wow. Um, 21st century Babylon, no disrespect to, to, I love Orange County. How does a young woman go from Orange County to like a zero percent waste lifestyle. Obviously something happened to you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. what's your personal narrative and how did you gain this awareness? Yeah, so um, when I was in college, I uh, got an internship in Washington, D.C. And a week before I left, I watched this video. I was just scrolling through Facebook and I watched this video about Lauren Singer who um, keeps all her trash in a jar. And I was like, how is that possible? In the video, she explained where plastic came from. And I had never known where plastic came from. Plastic comes from oil, and depending on what type of plastic, um, it, they mix it with other chemicals and they change it into different products. But in its origin, it's extracted from the ground, it's fossil fuel extraction. And um, I was really shocked to learn that everything around me is made out of plastic because when I heard that the Iraqi war was about oil, um, I remember like thinking that I have to say astaghfirullah every time my parents put gas in the car. Because that was when you were younger. Yeah, that's when I was younger. And um, I thought, like, I can't not use a car in California, but at least I can be consciously disgusted by it. You can at least make, like, istighfar. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, th- and that's kind of the, the point of change in people's lives, right, is the initial, mm-hmm. you know, the prasadarika al iman that the heart despises something is like, the first level of faith. Yeah. So your parents using the car and you being aware of the Iraqi war and mm-hmm. Iraqis being killed and slaughtered. Mm-hmm. So you, you started to have that awareness then as a young child mm-hmm. and you were saying Istaghfirullah. And, then, and yeah. then where did that take you? And then I saw that video, recognized that everything around me was made out of oil and um, that I could cut out that from my life. I could find alternatives. And it was a, re- a week before Ramadan, so I went and I was like, I'm going to go cold turkey. I'm going to um, just cut out plastic from my life. So basically you were able to tie in, I think what all of us think, oil, we think of cars. Mm-hmm. And as you, when you went to D.C., you were able to see, hey, plastic is also coming from oil. Yeah. And everything around us is plastic. Yeah. So you're able to say kind of like, well, if I was condemning my parents, well, now I have... Mm-hmm. So I went into a new apartment and I didn't bring any plastic with me. I just said, I'm going to start over. And it was Ramadan, so I knew that there's, there's special aspects of Ramadan that would make it easier for me. That I'm already practicing self-discipline. That during Ramadan, Allah makes things easy for us. We're able to do things we weren't able to do before. Um, and that I could really practice like the higher level consciousness that we're supposed to develop during Ramadan and really see whether, like gauge whether I'm really being able to put this into application. So I remember um, I was walking and it was really hot and you know, we're fasting and I needed chapstick. And I was like, oh God, the only chapstick I've ever known has been in, in, a, tub of plas- in a tub of plastic. Um, and so I said, Allah, you know, I'm gonna put my reliance on you. I trust that I, I don't even have the ima- imagination to know if there is an alternative, but I'm gonna trust that you, you will help me and I'll just be strong. Like I'll just deal with my chap lips for now. And just like five minutes later, I passed by a farmer's market where they're selling chapstick in a, in a paper tube. And I was like, subhanAllah. Um, and that became really like that experience early on in my journey. It's invigorating. Yeah, and it just it kept me perseverant. So every time I thought there wasn't an alternative to like shampoo, there would be. There was a bar. So now I use a bar of shampoo instead of the plastic containers. Um, everything there's a plastic for toothbrushes, or there's a alternative for toothbrushes, a bamboo toothbrush, 
and they're all not only healthier for you, healthier for the planet, but they're just better in every way and they they make me feel like I'm doing something good. Even when my day wasn't productive, I feel like at least I haven't put something in a landfill where it's going to cause a release of methane gas and cause climate change. At least I won't have that on my records of deeds to say mm. that that's rotting there way long after your death. Um, so let, let's 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 move beyond this. I feel oftentimes when we hear about environmentalism and being green, and I know you don't like those two terms, I'd like mm-hmm. you to explain why. And I think one of the reasons it's also kind of reductive to simply describe this in this way. Exactly. And if you could kind of build on why, like the impact of this is what in its most ugliest form. Yeah. So the impact of plastic and every other material that ends up in a landfill um, or not in a landfill in our oceans um, in in birds and whales um, is that is climate change is and climate change means extreme heat, extreme cold, these unusually long winters that we're having, these uh, the deaths that will be caused by heat stroke, by air pollution, air air pollution is the number one killer in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't take that seriously, but that's that's because of pollution, that's because of the industries we're using. It all really goes back to economics and the global economic system that we have now. So zero waste is really a, for me, it's a spiritual rebellion and very applicable like daily action that I take to fight against this economic system and say there's a better way and I'm going to practice it and I'm going to put my dollars behind it. And I don't like calling myself green or an environmentalist because I, it, like you said, it's very reductionist. And um, my motivation is not just to protect the earth. Like the, the earth will live beyond us. Climate change, the biggest threat uh, with climate change is human societies and life. We've only lived uh, in in an era of of normal-ish weather, like predictable seasons, and that allowed us to do agriculture and develop like communities and cities um, for a very short time. And so the Earth has long outlived this ability. You know, we're the ones. Allah said, "Do you think you are more difficult to create mm-hmm. than the heavens?" Right. Sorry to cut you off. No, no. So Allah is taking care of his earth. Like we're the ones that are going to suffer from the consequences of climate change. And we're going to be the ones that need to think of creative ways to to do better. Um, And so I think that really reclaiming the Muslim identity of Khalifa of the earth, like stewards of the earth, is a very empowering um, and identity and it calls us back to the spiritual imperative to to um to respond to climate change and that means responding to our own like what we're doing to cause climate change which is which is consumerism like unfettered capitalism consumerism um and islam islamic ethics like allah teaches us how to be khalifa in the Mm. quran so Mm. if we can just be able to like critically question everything in our lives and use the guidance Allah's given us through the concepts of mizan, through the concept of of zuhud, like living lightly, 
I like that definition. Zuhud means to live lightly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, through zakah, nice. like local development, making sure that everyone's being cared for. It's m- it's more than the planet and the animals. It's also about us and taking care of us. And it's leading to conflict. Mm-hmm. As as the pl- as the sandbox gets smaller, exactly. There's less of an area to play. Yeah. And and we saw that I think ten years ago with the Israel's, um, you know, the occupiers invasion of Lebanon, which is primarily based on water, mm-hmm. right? It was about amassing water resources. Yeah. Um, the wars that have been fought over oil, you know, have not just been about pushing our cars, but pushing products that we buy. Exactly. And so, so when I went, I, I did my thesis in Morocco, uh, what I looked at was that there are indigenous alternatives, like there are alternatives in every culture, in every place, the people know their land and they there's different uses. Like in Morocco, we have our own shampoo that we get from clay from a mountain in Marrakesh. We have um, our own soap that we make from oil, the oil rinds from olive oil. We have a comb that's made out of the horns of sheep that were slaughtered from Eid. So we have all these very sustainable alternatives to the colonizer's product. Um, and yet we still choose the wasteful colonial product. Um, and it's Irresponsibly. Mm-hmm, without and, thinking. And, and, you know, zuhud really, I love the definition, living lightly is zuhud. But I, as we were reading uh, Ibn Jozi's kind of critical summary of Ghazali's book, you know, you really begin to project zuhud as a form of spiritual resistance mm. to irresponsibility. Uh, private zuhud, there's private zuhud, and then there's public zuhud, and then there's structural zuhud, mm-hmm. right? And I think we talked about the idea of resilience and what resilience is going to mean. Mm-hmm. And I tie mm-hmm. some components of resilience into private zuhud, private living lightly. Maybe you can build on the idea and share with people what it means to be part of a resilient movement uh, in support of environmental sustainability and environmental justice. So resilience means uh, to withstand the hardships that are to come, to be able to um, to find creative ways to live beyond the hardship. Because climate specialists are saying it's coming, mm-hmm. right? There's no more maybe, maybe it's not. Here. It's here, right? Yeah. We're, we're like that frog that's being boiled. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to think strategically mm-hmm. as believers, as Khalifas, mm-hmm. to, to you know, I was thinking, how much do you think we preserve when we fast, like, Monday and Thursdays? Like, how does that contribute? And then if we eat healthy and if we eat something that's sustainable. Exactly. So just by fasting Monday and Thursday, it's huge. there's one point, what, 1.2 billion Muslims now. I'm sure 50 to 60% are mukallaf, they can fast. Mm-hmm. So if we as a community were to say, hey, let's bring back the sunnah of fasting or even three times a month for the sake of Allah and to preserve and sustain and be resilient in the face of, yeah. you know, the greatest disease facing the West is obesity. Mm. Right? The greatest disease facing other people is, is hunger and right. poverty. It's like the irony of that is incredible. Yeah. So resilience means what are the strategies I'm going to employ as I suffer through this incredible climate change that's happening and going mm-hmm. to continue so that I can also kind of try to reverse hopefully those trends mm-hmm. and then make sure other people have access to healthy alternatives basically. Yeah. 
And a huge structural thing is um, concepts you've already been talking about a lot. Community building is the number one, like knowing your neighbor is the number one indicator that you will survive a, uh, a climate change event. Why knowing your neighbor? Because, because if your neighbor, if you have a flood, your neighbor knows whether you're in the house or not at the time of day or, or what you need or who you are. Are you an elderly person? Are you, do you have young mm. children? Like, do you, are you really attached to your dogs and like won't leave without your dogs? So if you're knowing your neighbor is so important, it's, it's what will keep us like alive, literally. It's a hadith, right? You know, who believes in God in the last day should be good and honor mm-hmm. their neighbor. Mm-hmm. So resilience is about strategy, um, a deliberate strategy, which we could, with our Nia, turn into an act of, of worship. Another thing that you talked to me about was a regenerative economy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that, if I go, can go back, the track race, the relay yeah. race of how the economy is not linear. It's not just H&M, I wear it, trash can. Yeah. yeah. It's maybe I'm going <laughs> to buy something that was already used. Exactly. Wear it and then pass it on and now there even there's like used clothes clubs that people are joining i don't know if you're aware of that yeah and there's clothing swaps for four years i've only been um wearing secondhand clothing or and the only other clothing i get is gifts um and that's after i watched this really incredible documentary called true cost where you see the impact of the material you're wearing like cotton that's not organic is killing farmers they're killing their families they're polluting the rivers causing climate change like fertilizer and pesticide causes climate change and and we're supporting that by buying non-organic clothing so i can't afford an or- organic t-shirt yeah me either yeah, yeah. so put that joint on later <laughs> So instead, I go to a thrift shop, and there's lots of thrift shops. Or I um, ask my friends, and we have a clothing swap. And usually, she'll be wearing something that I want, and I'll be wearing something she wants. And it's it really also engenders love uh, between people, and um, it's a sharing culture instead of a constant like consumer culture. And I think it's terrifying to note that I may be perhaps a member of a tariqa. I may be someone who like really follows the ideas of like say Salafism to like you know I'm being very adherent to the mm. literal meanings of religious texts. I may be an activist, but the clothes I'm wearing or the articles in my home are somewhat hypocritical on my part because they are contributing. You talked about Standing Rock. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. If you want to ask you to share on that. Yeah may be actually going to be a witness against me in the hereafter and say, exactly. I failed to act on what I know. I'm now maghdubi alayhim. Um, that's like super scary. And that's one, one thing I heard five years ago from a scholar was that the idea of resilience and a regenerative economy, I'm not going to say in green and environmentalist, mm-hmm. is today's Sufism. Hmm. It is a sign of sincerity. Yeah. Uh, is a sign of, if you're Salafi, your adherence to Tawheed and the Sunnah. Um, how do we recalibrate this understanding? So I may be very much against the occupation of Palestine, but then I'm buying things, right? 
Exactly. Including the BDS movement, which I love. I think, unfortunately, people need to read their website and find out what they've boycotted because sometimes they they boycott the wrong things. But then at the same time, I may be purchasing products which are going to contribute to the occupation implicitly Mm -hmm. or wearing things. Mm -hmm. And that is... uh, Yeah, I don't... That's terrifying. I don't need to worry about buying anything on the BDS list because I live a zero-waste lifestyle. So whatever I can't find an alternative to, I make... Like, those big companies are able to exploit because they're so big. But the point that you made about, um, like, fear on the Day of Judgment, I'm obsessed with potato chips. They're, like, my favorite thing ever. Tortilla chips are, like, that's my my diet breaker. (laughs) And yet they're packaged in plastic. So every time, like, I'm at a weak point, I really go back to... Like the training from Ramadan, taqwa, and remembering the day of judgment, remembering like when I'm going to be in the grave and the earth is going to envelop me, is it going to curse me or is it going to be like, mashallah? And, and after, I'm, after I die, that potato chip bag is still going to be rotting there in a landfill causing methane gas, causing, causing climate change. And do I want a part of like, is that the legacy I want to leave? So that really helps me in terms of staying away from potato chips and candy. Yeah, <laughs> right? The the evildoer will say after they die, I wish I could just be dirt. SubhanAllah. Subhanallah. Yeah, yeah. So we're moving into the month of Ramadan and you know, as many of our acts uh, in Islam, prayer, hajj, fasting, we're taught to treat things that are normally permissible as forbidden in order to build a capacity of discipline. What would you advise someone now who's listening and saying, hey, I'm in Ramadan and I'm interested in doing this, but this is this is a process. You did it for four years. Yeah. Well, well how, how should they start? How should we start if we wanted to start to live a zero waste lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing is you're probably going to be going to iftar at the masjid and um, making sure that there's barakah in the food that you eat in your fast. Um, by bringing your own cup for water or for drinks, bringing a reusable plate. um, Instead of like plastic bottles. Instead of plastic bottles, instead of plastic cups. And then for the plates, you don't know what type of material they're going to bring. Styrofoam's terrible, plastic is also terrible. Even paper, like you're still, that will be recycled. And if it doesn't have if it has the plastic sheet over it, um, then that requires a special recycling facility. It's still going to take 40 years to uh, to um, compost in the in the landfill. So, bringing your own plate or reusable container. Everyone has um, everyone has Tupperware. I invested in a steel one because. Um, uh, all my aunts on my father's side has ha- have had cancer, and I don't want any of the toxins to trigger something in my genes um, because plastic contains a lot of things that's harmful for your own health. hormone disruptors as well. Exactly, yeah. So I didn't want that, so I invested in something, but everyone has Tupperware. Um, also, your own utensils. Again, we're talking about moving away from a throwaway culture where you've extracted oil just to make this utensil that you're going to throw away in five minutes. Um, So being a Khalifa again allows me to see myself as being someone who's passing the baton. So I'm bringing my own plates, I'm bringing Mm -hmm. my own utensils, 
Yeah. And it's also going to spur a conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey, why'd you bring your own plate? Why'd you bring your utensils? Exactly. And, and really reframing, you know, it's terrifying as I'm listening to you, how we're really seen as the center of consumption and then also kind of the center of throwing things away. Mm-hmm. Whereas what we should see ourselves as as a piece in this puzzle of sustaining exactly. our neighborhood. Yeah. Right? So when I see myself and I reframe my existence in the way of, hey, I've if there's enough for two, there's enough for four, if there's enough for four, there's enough for eight, exactly. hadith, right? Yeah. I'm able to really become now important, mashallah, in this process as mm-hmm. well. So just Such like bring your own impact. plates and your own utensils. Yeah. And Americans, especially American Muslims, have such a huge responsibility because we are part of the population that pollutes the most. Like American Muslims and European Muslims are can be that example um, and can really make a huge dent in, in the pollution that America and Europe is causing. And, I, and so to continue from just um, if thought, like questioning everything in your life, asking this product that I'm holding in my hand or that I'm going to buy, where did it come from and what energy and water uh, and fuel was required to create it and what am I going to do with it afterwards? So like just being critical about everything, questioning everything. And that really translates into just having taqwa, like uh, being conscious about about who you are, what you're here for on this earth, and what your impact is going to be. And and just by that questioning, every little step you take is going to have a huge impact that we can, like it's the butterfly effect. Mm. Um, it's huge. Mashi, are there any materials, anything people, anything people, are there any materials or references people can start to read or watch that will help kind of carry their hand um, from step one to step two to step three to step four? Mm-hmm. Anything out there for them? Um, so I spent, it's it's my four-year mark now, and I've spent four years researching. I just started by looking for alternatives for things that I needed because I came to D.C. without anything. Um, and I used... Were you in D.C. when I was in D.C.? No. Okay. No. This and then years you, ago. And then you came to NYU. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I used all sorts of things. I just researched things on the internet. I used Instagram. Now I have my own Instagram called Journey of a Khalifa um, in order to help Muslims connect that this spiritual imperative with their impact and that they can have. Um, but I think it's just a lot of research. Um, z- Hashtag zero waste gives you a lot of alternatives, um, but it's it's hard. It's not it's not in one place because people are not being critical mm. as they should be. Right, right, and it's interesting that you know after spiritually we talked about this in a few podcasts back. You know the idea of aliyakada being woke, if it's proper, is going to lead to muhasaba, which is of course this introspection of my place in society, my place in life, and how I'm impacting people and impacting yeah. the world around me, yeah. which is very interesting. So can you share with people kind of what you did at NYU, what you studied, and then what the future holds for you, inshallah? Yeah. Um, at NYU, I was doing, I am, or am graduating, 
I did my master's in uh, environmental police building. So my overall degree was global affairs and that helped me learn about the global economic crisis and how it relates to politics um, and basically the overall structure of things. And then I, um, sorry, I get distracted every time you leave. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. People, people are excited, man. They're done with school. <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask the question again. Okay. I mean, we just we're almost done. So, so um, you've come to NYU, mm -hmm. California, DC, New York City. Uh, what did you do your studies in and then what are you looking forward to do in the future? So I did my master's in global affairs with looking at environmental peace building, so the intersection between climate change, the world we're going to live in now and in the future, and how communities can overcome the hardships that will, that will, that are arising. Um, and the experience I've had at NYU has really been like no other because I went to three countries that were really um, impactful in my understanding. So I went to Standing Rock with uh, the Islamic Center. Imam Khalid. Yeah, with Imam Khalid and um, Imam Daoud. Uh, and they, and our experience there was really beautiful. Um, the indigenous people believe in God and they practice their belief in such a beautiful way. Um, but as we were at Standing Rock, protesting against this oil pipeline, I realized that everything around me was still, um, people were still using plastic. And it was crazy because we're fighting against a pipeline that's providing plastic, or mm. sorry, providing oil for plastic. For plastic, and yet we are the drive and the fuel and the demand for this oil. So wow. if we really wanted to, you know, protest this oil pipeline, then we need to stop demanding oil. Mm. And stop living in a way that consumes things that are created and made by oil. Wow. Exactly, which is why every purchase that you make like has such a big impact because it's that it's that where are you putting your dollar? Like what are you what are you funding? What pipeline needs to go down for the product mm. that you're using? And um, I also went to the Kurdistan region of Iraq uh, as part of consultancy in the summer during my studies at NYU. Um, and I saw what climate change is doing to the people there. It's, it's, uh, it's not just climate change. I saw the US companies and how, what, what their oil fields that they had taken through the war um, were doing to the land when you extract oil, it causes desertification. So this fertile land that used to be the breadbasket, like the northern region of Iraq is the breadbasket of Iraq. Right, and historically, it's always been that way. Exactly, and yet they're having lower rainfalls, there's desertification, and Turkey upstream is building a dam which is um, holding back the water of the Tigris River and causing you know farmers to lose the water that they need, mm. especially at a time when climate change is is causing uh, a need for water. A need for water, mm. uh, and the reason why Turkey's building this dam is because of um, because of industrialization of farmland. So that's why we need to buy organic and local food because mm. it's not uh, it's not industrial. 
the, the third place you went to. The third place was Morocco, which I talked a little bit about. Um, just learning that there are indigenous alternatives to everything, like every land you go to has their own alternative. And that's when I read the verse in the Quran about how God made us into um, communities so that we may learn from each other. Like every community should know their land and has known their land. And and they have an alternative that, and a way of doing things that we can learn from. Mm. So I think that also asking our grandparents, like, what did your mother used to use instead of, uh, instead of a plastic Tupperware? Like liquid prayer. Exactly. Right, well, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you, we have so much to learn from our elder generations. Like they, they knew how to live with, like, with zuhud, but also have so much barakah in their lives. Like there was an imam in Morocco that was telling me like we used to just eat out of the tajin and because because tajin is made out of clay there's barakah in it Mm. Um, that was really subhanallah yeah and what's the future inshallah Uh, inshallah I want to help American Muslims recognize their responsibility in face of climate change to make their communities more resilient mashallah it's been a pleasure, and again, people can follow you on Instagram mm-hmm. at at Journey of a Khalifa. Journey of a Khalifa. You want to spell it for him? J O U R N E Y O F A K H A L I F A H. And I will link it also as well okay. uh, to the Instagram <laughs> post. It's been a pleasure, uh, Sister Mona Benani. Uh, and we Merci. hope to have you on again. To continue this conversation. Inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Thank you. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam.